With that, let's pray, and then we'll jump into our sermon for today. Father God, Lord, we exalt your name. We glorify you, Lord. You are holy. You are worthy to be praised. Lord God, there is, there is nobody like you. And so, Lord, it is an honor for us to just gather here to worship, to praise you together with our church family and community. So, Lord, would you be honored and glorified in our praise today. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, our campaign is called The Irresistible Gospel. We started this a few weeks ago, and we've been kind of exploring why the Christian faith is truly irresistible. We've been exploring it from a philosophical perspective. We've been asking the questions of, and we've just been seeing how Christianity answers the questions of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Okay, these are big questions that every worldview has to answer. Origin, where do we come from? Meaning, why do we exist? What's it all for? What's the purpose of our life? All of these big questions. Destiny, where it's headed. Morality, how ought we live? We've just been kind of exploring some of these things. And what we've been finding is that the Christian faith, the gospel message, is truly irresistible. It doesn't just provide satisfactory answers to these big questions of life. It provides answers that are compelling, that are beautiful. <laughs> Not only are they true, but we should all want them to be true. So that's kind of the big driving point of this whole campaign. I'm not arguing for the truth of the gospel, theoretically. I'm simply saying that we should all, whether you're a Christian or not, want this to be true because it's so, so good. It's just so good. All right, so in this campaign, we've talked about the existence of the moral law, uh, accepting what we know to be true. We talked about God's response to the moral law. Last week, Sarah was here, and she preached a wonderful sermon that I got to listen to online, uh, driving home from Nashville. Um, <laughs> we uh, preached a wonderful sermon on origin, on where it comes from, on where we all come from, where all creation comes from, how that ties into our identity and our purpose. Um, today, I'm going to kind of piggyback on that, and I'm going to continue an idea that I, I started talking about a few weeks ago, when we were talking about how God has responded to our violations of the moral law. This week I'm talking about how do we progress in our faith. Right, so after we have been saved by grace through faith, after we put our trust in Jesus for our salvation, how do we progress? How do we become better disciples? How are we transformed? We've already been formed by the world. Now how are we transformed into the image of Christ? So we're talking about the gospel of transformation, the good news of how we are transformed. And again today, I hope that you see that it is good news. It's unexpected, it's unexpected, but it's good news. It's great news. It's the best news. We've all gone through times in our life where we want to better ourselves, right? Where perhaps you've realized that you need a better job or you need to do better at your current job. And perhaps that realization came at an annual review or something from your boss. And you're like, okay, I'm in danger of being fired. i got to get my act together, right? Perhaps you picked up a hobby and you just wanted to get good at that. Uh, I know a lot of y'all are getting into, like, gardening and homesteading and stuff like that. So you learn a lot, right? you got to figure out how to do this thing. And uh, what's really popular today and is driving me nuts is pickleball. Mm. <laughs> I won't ask you to raise your hands because I'll, it'll hurt too much, all right? I have a beat. Oh, Dave. Oh, oh no. I'll, I'll accept confessions later. Um, we don't do that, but whatever. You know what I mean. 
Uh, I have a beef with the pickleballers because every time I go to play basketball at the wellness center, it's pickleballs everywhere. Like, pickleballers are everywhere. Um, so you can, I mean, you can call it exercise. I don't really call it exercise. There's not a lot of... Not a lot of movement going on there, but whatever. There's like lessons you can take for pickleball, all that stuff. Perhaps you want to be healthier, just eat better, get on a diet or get on an exercise plan. We've all had these moments in our life where we just decide we want to better ourselves. Uh, one story that comes to mind for me is when I was in high school, I really wanted to dunk a basketball. All right, I'm 6'2", played basketball my whole life, I loved basketball. I really wanted to be able to dunk, and all I could do was like grab rim. So, going into my junior year, that summer, what I decided to do was do a pretty intense jump program. So I looked this thing up online, it's this like three-month jump program. Basically, all I did was jump a lot, right? Surprising, if you want to get better at jumping, you should jump a lot, right? Uh, so basically, all I did was jump, I lifted, I did like single leg jumps, like split leg jumps, all of this stuff. I lifted a ton, worked out a ton. By the beginning of my junior season for basketball, I was dunking with ease, right? It totally worked, and I reaped the benefits of that. And so, you see how I wanted to progress with my life, so I decided what to do, I disciplined myself to do it, and I did it. And I saw the results. I'm leading you on a little bit, and you'll see that in a minute. Okay, so, we're going to start today, what we've been doing in this campaign is in order to see how truly irresistible and beautiful the gospel is, and this gospel of transformation especially, what we need to do is look at the alternatives. So what are the alternatives to the gospel of transformation? We're going to start looking at those today. Number one is self-help. I think this is one of the most common forms uh, that we find today and that we practice today. Uh, we look up leadership material, like how do I become better? Um, a lot of it is in good leadership books, things like Atomic Habits, 12 Rules for Life, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, just to name a few. Those are some of the most popular ones. There's so many podcasts out there. If you want to better your life, look up leadership on your Apple Podcasts. You'll be overwhelmed immediately. Like, which one do I start with? They're everywhere, right? And it's all folks who want to better themselves. And these books, these podcasts, this information are full, they are full of really good wisdom, really good truths that we can take and we can develop habits and we can develop new skills and things in our life. They're, they're super good. Problem is, there are more rules, right? And we're going to see how this compares to the gospel of transformation. Habits, in fact, I, I noticed as I was writing this out, I'm like, why are habits found so often in leadership material? And I started thinking about it more. I'm like, habits are actually just like more rules for yourself, right? That you actually follow up on. And they're good, they're helpful, but they're limited. They're limited when it comes to transformation. They're not the gospel. The other one, I made up a word. It's hyphenated, so I can make it up, right? Uh, others help, we're calling it. Um, there's a lot of nuance in this, okay? So follow along with me. Please follow with me on this. And if you have any questions or if I don't explain something clearly, please email me or talk to me afterwards, and I'd love to just dialogue with you more about this. 
Uh, this is another alternative to the gospel of transformation that I see today, and it's expecting another person to fix you, essentially, okay, is how we would think, how I think of this, at least. We recognize our failures, we recognize our lack of progress in one, whatever area that might be, so we reach out to a counselor, a therapist, or a pastor, or a friend, perhaps, and this is a great first step. Okay, again, don't, don't mishear what I'm saying. Great content, great wisdom in some self-help material and in leadership books, there's great wisdom in that. Reaching out to others for help, it's great wisdom. It's, it's, it's usually very helpful in our life with Christ. This is a great first step. But what I've found as a pastor is oftentimes the person who reaches out to me, they're expecting power out of me that I just don't have. Oftentimes they're expecting me to fix them, to solve all of their problems. They think that just by taking that first step of reaching out, that that will then solve their problems. Not necessarily, right? When I saw a counselor, my counselor told me, like, this is only as good and as much as you put it into practice. <laughs> the things that I'm giving you, they only are effective in as much as you actually use them and do them. And that's good counsel. Because he knew that he couldn't change me. I know when I'm sitting across from somebody that I cannot change them. I cannot make them new. I can't change their heart. We also do this with medicine. We, we look to, again, these are all good things. There's nuance here, right? I've benefited greatly, greatly in my life from, from medical treatment, from good medicine. But oftentimes we look to a prescription, a legal drug, or even an illegal drug to change us. To transform us is what we're expecting out of that. Again, medication can be very helpful in countering physical, emotional maladies, but it can't change the heart. It can't change the heart. There's lots of good wisdom in leadership material and self-help material. There's lots of good wisdom in reaching out to help, for help from others. But this is not the gospel of transformation. We tend to take this approach to progress in our life with Christ because we've found it to be effective in other areas of our life. Again, like me jumping. <laughs> if I work hard enough at this, I will get the result I desire, is kind of what we think of in our spiritual life. But that's not the gospel of transformation. Some of our most famous verses that we've memorized in Scripture point us to this truth and this reality. And yet, in our sinful nature, we always try to grab back at control and say, I can do this myself. And there's reasons for that, but we'll talk about those later. And so today, what I want to do is I want to speak to many of you who have been Christians for a long time and you haven't seen progress for a long time in your life with Christ, I want to encourage you to not give up hope. I want to encourage you to continue on in your life with Christ. And my, my realization this week is that I think we've just been aiming at the wrong target. We've been trying to do this in and of ourselves, and no wonder we're getting frustrated. That's not how it works. Let's see what scripture has to say about it. Ephesians 2.10 says, 
We read this a couple weeks ago when I preached on God's response to our sin. At the end of it, after Paul beautifully, uh, one of the best passages in all of Scripture, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Love it. So good. At the end of this section, after describing how we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. After saying that, at the end of that section, it's all about how he has saved us by grace alone through faith, that it's not by works, so no one can boast. He says, for, again, the cause of all this transformation that begins at salvation, we are God's handiwork, he says. We are God's handiwork. The ESV uses the term workmanship. Paul only uses this term elsewhere in Romans 1.20 to refer to the works of God in creation. Now he's saying that in salvation we are recreated. <laughs> Just like, this is the whole story. John 1, 1, in the beginning. He begins his gospel with in the beginning, just like Genesis, to point us back to that in order to say that what happens in Jesus, what Jesus started, is on the same level of what happened in creation in Genesis 1. Creation, fall, and then Jesus is recreating everything. And it starts with us <laughs> as God's people. So we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus we have been created in Christ. We have been made new. We've been recreated, transformed in Christ Jesus to do good works. Good works are the results of this new creation. So we see this time and time again throughout Scripture that our good works, the things that we do for God, the life change that happens within us, it starts with being new creations. And even these good works, God has prepared in advance for us to do. <laughs> it's all about God. It's all about his work within us. You're beginning to see how that was leading you on before. Um, <laughs> and then in chapters 4 through 6, it's full of ethical imperatives. It's full of this is how you should live. This is how you ought to live. But not before this. <laughs> chapter 2 comes before chapter 4. Don't mean to insult your intelligence. We know that, right? But so often when we read scripture, we just jump ahead. We just started Romans 12. We'd miss all the theology of Romans 1 through 11 and what God has done to save us, to make us new, to adopt us into the people of God, to graft us in to the vine. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. We are new creations in Christ. It's everywhere in scripture. I, I put more in the devotional, but I... I cut, <laughs> I trimmed it down for today, all right? Don't worry. You're like, when the pastor says he has a lot of verses, we're in trouble. Uh, we're gonna be here a while. Colossians 2, 19. We're gonna just, just briefly kind of work our way through a little bit of Colossians here. It says, they've lost connection with the head. It's talking about this, uh, those who are promoting the Colossian heresy uh, dealt with strict asceticism, harsh treatment of the body. They said, by doing these things, you're, you're closer to God. Like, this is, this is how you change. Like, this is how you're made new. This is how you're transformed. You gotta really treat yourself harshly. And then you'll be made new. And Paul's like, no, <laughs> what are we doing? This isn't the gospel, you guys. That's more laws. We're adding more laws. We're going back to the old way. That's not how we do it in Christ. 
the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, it grows as God causes it to grow. All the work of God. This is what God does. He grows the church. And then in verse 20, since you died with Christ. Okay, so he's going to this new life with Christ. You've died with Christ. To the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? So why are you still submitting to this old way of living and being transformed and being made new when you've died with Christ? He's getting at this idea that your identity is now in Christ. Fast forward a few verses to chapter 3, verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. He's basing it all on our new identity in Christ. We've died with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. Now we set our hearts on things above. This is just who you are. You've been created new, so this is what you do. And then verses 9 through 10, he said, after a number of ethical imperatives, he says, don't lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on the new self. Okay. You've been made new. You're a new person in Christ. So we shouldn't participate in these things anymore because that's not who you are anymore. Which, notice, is being renewed is passive. Okay. That means this is something done to you, not something that you do. Your new self, which is being renewed, it's a divine passive. It's all over in Scripture. The, the assumption is that this is what God is doing by the author, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So this new self, it's being renewed by God constantly into the image of God. Second Corinthians 3.18, one of my favorite verses. And we all... With unveiled face, he's just been talking about Moses and how Moses would enter the tent of meeting and when he would come out, he had to put a veil over his face because he was talking with God as one talks with a friend face to face. And so he was like shining with the glory of God and it was too much for the people of Israel to handle. And so we all now who have the spirit of God, those who are in the church, believers in Jesus, beholding the glory of the Lord, beholding God's glory, also on the faces of one another, in Christ, because we don't have to put a veil over our faces anymore, are being transformed, again, passive. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Again, I hope you're seeing it time and time again. This is everywhere in Scripture. This is who you are. This is what God does in you when you are in Christ, when you have the Holy Spirit of God. Galatians 5, this is the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Okay, notice, Paul is <laughs> all through Paul's writings in the New Testament. He says, don't go back to the law. Don't go back to law. Don't go back to law. Stop. <laughs> Stop. Like, that's not who we are in Christ anymore. We've been made new. We've been given the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is better. If we live by the Spirit, he says, our life is totally in the realm of the Spirit. He has made us alive in Christ, and we can walk with him day by day. He indwells the believer. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So it's just like going on a walk with God in the garden. <laughs> Should be our life with Christ. Every time I heard this passage talked about when I was a kid, I grew up in the church, and and I don't, I don't think it was taught incorrectly, but what I heard every time was, 
you need to do these things. You need to be more loving, you need to have more joy, you need to be more patient, you need to be good, and you need to be self-controlled. And I heard them as laws. And that was just my default setting. Right? I need to do these things. That's not the point. <laughs> that's not at all what Paul is saying here. What he's saying is, so that's prescriptive, that's saying do these things. What Paul's saying here is descriptive. He's saying, this is what the Spirit of God produces in the believer. This is just what he does. When we have the Spirit of God in us, he's going to produce love, joy, peace. He's going to produce the fruit. I listened to a, a sermon from Francis Chan last week, and he, he, brought out, <laughs> he brought out a branch. And he's like, hey, guys, like, I don't... <laughs> It doesn't matter like how good of a gardener you are. Like he's holding a branch. He's like, you can't make fruit grow on this, right? <laughs> he's like, you can tape an apple to it, but that's not real, right? <laughs> you can't make fruit grow. Only the Spirit of God does that in the life of a believer. We live by the Spirit, and this is just part of our new creation identity in Christ. Now, all this is all the Apostle Paul talking. In the epistles, he's, he's just reiterating what Jesus said in his farewell discourse, in one of his, la his last conversations with his disciples before he goes to the cross. Jesus tells them, abide in me, and I in you. I couldn't pick which one to put in yellow because it's all so good. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit in itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Now listen to this. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing in the Christian faith apart from Christ. These are pretty strong words from Jesus. And in Carson's commentary on this, he says the fruit that Jesus is talking about here is like everything in the Christian life. It's character formation, it's answers to prayer, it's ministry effectiveness. So everything in the Christian life comes from abiding in Christ. Now, abiding is such a cool word because it's like active, right? It's like do this, but it's rest. It's just go remain in Christ. Just be in him. Just hang out with him. <laughs> it's like be in the sphere, be with Christ. Rest in him. And so, Ben, you guys can come and get set up. We're going to go and do a time of worship here. And then I'll come back up and apply it after we sing a few songs. Our big idea is transformation in the Christian life is a necessary result of new creation in Christ. According to Scripture, when we are in Christ... When we have put our faith and trust in him and he's given us the Holy Spirit of God, we are made new. And instead of striving and striving and striving and striving, we can rest in Christ, pursue Christ, know Christ, surrender to the Spirit, listen to the Spirit, remain in him, Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And this life of transformation, it's only accomplished through the Holy Spirit at work within us. 
We can't do it ourselves. Time and time again, Scripture points to the reality of us being new creations in Christ. And so often we undervalue that. We undervalue the spiritual, the work of God within us, and we overvalue our own control, our own ability, and what we can accomplish in and of ourselves. Let's pray. We'll sing, and I'll come back and apply it. Lord, God, we thank you for this gospel of transformation that is it's counterintuitive, Lord, but it's glorious. And the more, Lord, the more we experience of you, the more we dwell in your presence, the more we experience your transformation, Lord, the more we're in awe of you, the more we see that the gospel is truly irresistible. And it's not about more law, not about more rules. It's about walking in the spirit of God. It's about abiding in Christ, trusting you for our transformation and our newness of life. So, Spirit of God, would you just fill us? Would you encourage your people today who are discouraged? And, Lord, would you bring us into that next, that next experience of you, the next joy of being in your presence, the next area of growth, Lord, where we can be transformed more into the image of Christ. And we trust, Lord, that this is a work from your Spirit. So we surrender to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you guys need prayer while we're singing, Michael's in the back, and he'd love to pray with you. And uh, Susanna is back joining us today. Susanna and her husband, Nate, moved away a couple years ago. Uh, It's a joy to have Susanna back leading worship with us. So would you guys stand with us and let's sing. Lord God, that is our prayer, that you would continue to, Lord, show us more of who you are. And Lord, we would encounter more and more of you. And Lord, in those encounters that we would grow, grow closer to you, and we would grow into living more and more in line with who we truly are in you, Jesus, when we are in you, when we know you, when we have the Spirit of God leading and guiding us. Lord, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. Lord, every other worldview says, strive, strive, strive. You call us to abide. You make us new. Help us to live in that, to rest in that, and to encounter you more. And so we transform more into the image of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat for a few moments here. All right, a big idea is transformation and Christian life is a necessary result of new, new creation in Christ. This is who we are. We're made new in Christ. It's continued. It's furthered by the Holy Spirit at work within us. Started by the Holy Spirit. It's continued by the Holy Spirit. This is a work of God within us. So let me continue my story that I started earlier uh, about my leaping ability and my dunking ability. Um, Again, remember, I trained really, really hard for a summer. I lifted a lot of weights. I jumped a lot. Um, It worked. (laughs) It worked. I was dunking in my junior year of high school, my senior year as well, until I got hurt. (laughs) Right? It always happens like that. 
Uh, I bruised my rib that year, and I spent like two months, like a month, not really being able to work out, not, like every breath hurt like crazy. So those like football players on Sunday who are playing with a bruised rib, new sympathy for you guys, all right? That's, that hurts. They gotta be on some serious painkillers to do that stuff and get hit, right? Because that hurts real bad. Every time you breathe, I'd take a deep breath and my ribs would hurt, like every time. Not to mention like twisting and moving and turning, it hurt like crazy. So I'd bruise my rib, I'd be out for a month, I returned to baseline, but I'm like, all right, I know how I do to do this, I can do it, so then I'll train again, I trained again, I got my strength back up, my power back up in my legs, and I was dunking again, I got back to it, and then I sprained my ankle. <laughs> again, setback. College came, got a bad like quad contusion, and was out for a while, same thing, right back to baseline, every time. I would train really hard, I'd get hurt, I'd regress to baseline, train really hard, get hurt, regress back to base. It was just like a constant cycle for years. And then in college, I met a young man named Patrick Atkins. Savannah, you know Pat. Uh, Luke, you probably remember Patrick Atkins. All right. <laughs> On my basketball team, Patrick Atkins, so if you doubt my story, you can ask them. Okay, Pat was 5'8", a full six inches shorter than me. Pat was a Jesse White tumbler, if you know him. That means from Chicago. Uh, all that to say, Pat could fly. <laughs> he could throw it down with ease. Two feet, one foot, didn't matter. People around him, didn't matter. One step, two steps, doesn't matter. He'd just jump and boom, throw it down. I remember watching him dunk. First time I was just like, oh, <laughs> like, what on earth? And then I came to learn Pat had never squatted in his life. I taught him how to squat <laughs> because I had been doing it for six years to make marginal gains and then return to baseline. That was the year I stopped lifting legs. You're like, we can tell. I, <laughs> I didn't wear my skinny jeans on purpose, but we can tell. <laughs> because I would work so hard, one failure, one setback, one injury, I'd be right back to baseline. I'd get back, right back to baseline. And then I'd watch Pat so effortlessly just fly through the air and dunk. It was really discouraging. For many of us in the Christian life, I think our picture of spiritual trans of transformation looks a lot more like me, like working so hard just to get marginal gains and then come back to baseline. At your next sin, your next failure, your next busyness, busy season, it's just this endless cycle that you're so frustrated with. When the picture in scripture is much more like Patrick Atkins, just flying through the air, dunking with ease. That this is just who we are. It should be just who we are. The spirit of God at work within us, making us new, transforming us more into the image of Christ. And I think we're just striving, we're striving, we're striving. And then we get discouraged when we go back to baseline because we're just clamoring for control. We're all control freaks in our spiritual life. We are. And we're barking up the wrong tree. We're aiming at the wrong target. We're aiming at rules. 
Habits are good, but they're more rules for yourself, right? I think the biblical picture of spiritual growth and transformation looks much different. There's a place for spiritual disciplines. We call them spiritual disciplines, but they turn into spiritual joys over time as we practice them. They may start as a chore, but they'll turn into joys. Things like prayer, fasting, silence, solitude, Bible reading, corporate worship, what we're doing here on Sunday morning. These are just tools. These are vehicles to help us meet with God. They're tools to help us abide in Christ, but they can't make you abide in Christ. They're tools to help you live in the Spirit of God. And so that's how we discipline ourselves. We don't discipline ourselves to make us grow. We discipline ourselves to meet with God. We discipline ourselves to be with the one who can produce fruit in us. Instead of striving, 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 we surrender. But we have to discipline ourselves to surrender, <laughs> to remember to surrender. Growth in the spiritual life is just that, spiritual. We make it physical. Spiritual is of a different nature, right? And so we think that we can just, a little hard work, determination, conviction, and we'll grow. Whereas transformation, according to scripture, Deeply spiritual. I don't know about you, but John Adams, in my physical nature, I have no power in the spiritual world. <laughs> but I know somebody who does. And he's given us his spirit, who does, who empowers us to grow in our spiritual life. I get it. It's a little scary. It's a little mysterious, the spiritual world. Because we don't have a lot of control there. And one of the first steps is admitting that and surrendering to the one who does have control there. And so growth in the spiritual life, it doesn't happen by me striving more and more. It's disciplining myself to know God, to abide in Christ. Because apart from him, we can do nothing, Jesus says. I think Jesus knows what he's talking about. And so often when we're just striving, 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 we're like fighting with sin. We're fighting against our sinful nature. And we've got like a big muscly guy right behind us. And we're like the little guy, like, let's go. <laughs> that works when Jesus is with us. It doesn't work when Jesus isn't there. That's when we get beat up. And so we need to learn to trust, learn to abide, learn to rest, surrender to the spirit of God. These disciplines, they're just about learning to hear God better. To walk in the Spirit, as Paul says. It's not about more laws. It's about meeting with God. And in that, we find power. Not in ourselves. We find power from God. So especially if you are striving, you feel like you make progress in your spiritual life, and then you just come back to baseline. My prayer for you 
is that the Spirit of God would be revealing this in you, that he would be calling you to himself, that he would be forming you into the image of Christ because this only happens when we surrender to him and he is at work within us, that you would desperately stop at nothing to meet with him, to experience that power of transformation. Self-help can only get you so far. It can't get you far at all in the spiritual world. Others' help can point you to Jesus, who will help you grow in the spiritual world, can teach you to listen to the Spirit, but it's no substitute for it. We can't outsource our spiritual growth to anyone but the Spirit of God. My prayer for all of us is that the Spirit would begin working in you. That he'd be calling you to himself and that you'd surrender to his voice. That you'd find the joy, the peace, the fruit of a life lived walking in the Spirit of God, abiding in Christ, experiencing the presence and power of God. And that's how we're transformed. So Jesus... Lord, your gospel is so irresistible. In a world of, of striving and frustration, of incremental progress and return to baseline, you offer us yourself. Jesus, we trust that when you say that you are the one who has fullness of life, that you know what you're talking about. We trust that our transformation in our life in you is not found in law and rule, but it's in the spirit of God whom you have given us. We have something better in the gospel. So Lord, we commit to abiding in you. We commit to listening to your spirit's voice, to your promptings, to your leadings. Lord, we pray, search me and know my heart. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's you who's leading us, Lord. You are our good shepherd. So Jesus, would you forgive us of our self-sufficiency in the area of spiritual growth? Lord, we're only hurting ourselves. My prayer is that the Spirit of God, Lord, would you be guiding us, pointing us to our new creation life in you, our status in Christ as children of God. Forming us into the image of Christ, leading us in your way. In your name, Jesus, we pray.